0: Pie checker like you read sing spelling at you. Uh, I, I really don't mind.
1: You hit me once, I hit you back.
2: I He's bowling like my auntie Annie
0: when she'd had too much sherry to drink.
3: Play over my head,
1: then I set fire.
0: Hello and welcome to a new episode of Pie Checker's Cricket Podcast. This is Vivek along with my fellow pie checkers Sai, Shivam, and Sumer. Now, it has been over 100 days since we had our last game of international cricket. Leave us at international matches. We haven't even had our Gully Mohalla Park matches that are essential feature of any Indian society. Perhaps the only matches that have been played have been those in our living rooms. Anyways, the wait is over and international cricket is all set to return on July 8th. However, like everything else in the world, cricket won't be the same with COVID still making its presence felt. The ICC has come up with new guidelines and regulations to help protect cricketers over the course of a match. So what are these guidelines? And how are they going to impact the game, the boards, the players, and the fans? To discuss this in detail, we have three very, very special guests joining us today from across the, from across the globe. From UK, we have George Dewell, who writes for ESPN Crick Info, and we have seen him frequently on Polite Inquiries. Welcome, George, to Pie Checkers Cricket Podcast.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you. Uh, from across the border, we have our veteran cricket journalist, Asif Khan, who has been writing in national Pakistan dailies and has re- recently launched his very own popular YouTube channel with West Indian, Michael, uh, West Indian legend Michael Holding. Welcome, Asif, bhai, to Pie Checkers Cricket thank- Podcast.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: And last but not the least, our very own Chetan Narula from India. Chetan is one of the most accessible Indian journalists over Twitter. He has his very own podcast called Hotspot, which of which the Season 2 has just released. You can ask him all things cricket, Formula 1, Game of Thrones, but just don't ask him about the weather. Welcome Chetan <laughs> uh, to uh, Pie Checkers Cricket Podcast.
4: Thanks guys thanks for having me and uh, just just to update you the weather is really unbearable in India right now it's so humid so, so that's that's the last thing you can I will say about weather today
0: uh, and just a small confession i think of uh, last year's india pakistan match one of the se- several tweets which you had received one of all those people one of them was from shivam Bhatia, who was pestering <laughs> you with the with the weather forecast
4: There's so many tweets that it was a lot of fun. I mean, whenever it's India versus Pakistan, I put out that hashtag weatherman for a day. So, you know, that's one day you you should answer all the weather queries. And, uh, you know, whenever it's India, Pakistan in England, then the weather, the hashtag actually comes to a lot of use because the weather in England is, especially when cricket is on. So it was useful and it's quite, quite great fun.
0: Uh, Sumit, you have been through all uh, uh, what is happening from the ICC guidelines and regulation perspective. So, uh, would you like to take us through what's happening on that front?
5: Yes, um, a lot has been said and and, uh, has been out from ICC in the last um, one month or so. Um, Many guidelines, ICC has issued a series of guidelines, in fact, to uh, address the ball management umpires and DRS substitutions preparation and workload, and other such, uh, normal cricketing um, uh, or management-related guidelines. Now, um, before we go into more specific cricket-related guidelines, we wanna start with more general uh, uh, and personnel guidelines that uh, have been issued, for example, uh, and maybe these could be uh, useful in our discussions later, uh, to the extent that uh, people are asked to have 1.5-meter distance uh, or or the applicable local law, uh, not to wear, uh, 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 you know, or not to hand over personal items like uh, sunglasses and sweaters and so on to umpires. Umpires themselves have to um, take care and maybe wear a glove when handling the ball. Um, And it's also strongly discouraged to uh, have any body contact during any celebrations and so on and so forth, also while sharing any drinks. Um, And and overall, uh, you know, another uh, sort of rule or. A rule, actually, a guideline, is to have a biosecure environment around the players and and the coaching and uh, and the intimate staff that is around uh, the playing eleven. Those are the some of the more general and and personnel-related guidelines uh, that uh, you know uh, have been issued or have been talked about.
6: Well, talking about uh, biosecure uh, now, uh, George, do you think biosecure environment isn't even? Uh... Possible Is it even uh, practically possible uh, creating a biosecure environment uh, in a place like England or how, how do
2: you feel about it? Pretty much stopped using that phrase, you know. They, they're, they're now using the phrase behind closed doors, which <laughs> is probably more accurate. Uh, no, pro- it can't be biosecure in the way that, you know, a medical lab could be. But actually, I remember Ashley Giles, who's the managing director of England men's cricket, said a few weeks ago, he wanted to create a, an environment which was safer than going shopping. Well, I think you'll, they, they've done that. Uh, okay. and, I, and, I, and I really do think the, um, the test series between England and West Indies uh, will probably go ahead. And that bubble is probably one of the most healthy places in the UK right now. And, and for that reason, I can sort of understand the Pakistan team seemed to want to get to the UK as quickly as possible, didn't they? Um, uh, obviously what was it 10 of that touring party have tested positive COVID at this stage and the others I think have flied out in the next 24 48 hours so I I can understand why they're doing that and I actually think they've done a really decent job of it so far I know we haven't known any cricket yet but it's uh, it was a monstrously tough challenge and I think we are going to have some cricket I think I'm going to be there by the way Um, the the demands are quite onerous for the players in particular uh, they've all bought into it. Fantastic. Um, I think you know, credit where it's due, they've done a really good job. And I applaud the West Indies and Pakistan for agreeing to come to the UK at a time when news reports might have made that seem quite an intimidating proposition. So I, I hope that the that the ECB and everyone in England are very respectful and grateful to those teams for coming. So they're sure doing us a favour. Given that we've talked about the biosecure environment,
6: uh, Asim "Bhai, uh, do you feel that uh, ball management, uh, that uh, ICC has said that uh, there'll be no saliva usage, they can only use sweat, and then they've also said that uh, there'll be two warnings that will be given. They've asked the umpires to be a bit lenient to start with, but then there is a... Five and penalty post uh, two warnings. So Asimphai, do you think uh, the saliva ban was even needed given the biosecure or the closed doors that George mentioned? They're talking about, do you think uh, biosecure uh, bubble is there then? saliva ban was needed?
1: This, this particular point is actually a point of concern. I was having a word with Michael Holding, one of the finest pollers you all know. And when we talked about this biosecure environment that was coming up, I'm talking about May. We were discussing this in May. And he was of the opinion even then that if the, if the environment has been secured enough, then the bowlers and the fielders should be allowed to do whatever to do with the ball. Uh, because this is one confusing aspect. It, it, will, kill, uh, it will kill the beauty of this, this match. Or, or at least would, would hurt it a great deal you must have heard a few you know noises from uh, from the companies that manufactures bowls like uh, Kukabura in australia and duke in 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 the uk they must come forward and a- at least introduce something to apply on the bowl if it is not the saliva then a grease or a vaseline or something or the other because i don't know about the weather if the weather is hot enough then perhaps Will be there, but people have started, you know, saying a lot about this magical thing saliva. People are saying that if saliva is not applied, the ball will not swing in that fashion. So a lot to actually look into, and I, I think uh, umpires would not go that uh, that uh, uh, that severe in the in the time to come uh, yeah. if if a, if a bowler or a fielder does something unintentionally i i don't think that he will be penalized that harshly and i uh, i don't see these five runs given or something i even uh, am anticipating that something gonna happen uh, either after this series or after after the pakistan series they got to Sit down. They got to, you know, uh, uh, you know, make around something. Make, 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 something out of it. You know, it will definitely kill the essence of fast bowling. Kill the essence of test match So they have to do something.
6: Definitely, given uh, how instinctive a lot of players, a lot of bowlers are. To use the saliva on the wall, a lot of uh, it may may have to be very very lenient to start off with. So, uh, Chetan, how, how do you feel about it? I mean, do you actually think like Asif I mentioned that it'll it'll create an imbalance that is already probably existing uh, even more? I mean, the balance between uh, batsmen and bowlers. How do you, how do you see this situation? Because of I think, uh, this uh, move of ICC banning saliva.
4: I think it's an interesting uh, question, really, because. Um, You know, this balance we're talking about, it is, uh, off late, it is a little non-existent in test cricket because I personally believe that we are in an era of test cricket where bowlers are actually doing really well. I mean, if you look at Australian attack or the Indian attack or the Pakistani attack, England attack, I mean, all these bowling attacks, even for the South African attack for that matter, I mean, whenever a team is playing away from home, they're struggling. So we are in, in an era where batsmen are actually struggling a little bit, you know, maybe it's not Virat Kohli, maybe not Steve Smith or David Warner, Kane Williamson. I mean, these are great batsmen. But overall, top-order batsmen everywhere are struggling a bit. So, in fact, this this decision might actually take it back in the favour of batsmen. That's, that's what I personally think. Um, I'm not sure saliva is the only way you can, you know, shine up the ball and work on it and get reverse swing. And I mean, it's not just about reverse swing, is it? I mean, there's conventional swing in England. How many times have you seen reverse? I mean, yes, you've, you've, you've seen great series when the ball goes old and everything. But if the weather conditions are right, I mean, James Anderson, Stuart Broad, I mean, they can just use conventional swing. And, you know, West Indies fast bowlers or Pakistan fast bowlers. So uh, I think saliva, just the saliva bit is a bit overrated. You can use a bit of sweat. You can just shine one side of the ball. I mean, players work so hard on the ball that their kits go red. I mean, it just can't be saliva. It just can't only be saliva. But having said that, if the authorities do feel that, you know, that we need an external, uh, something to rub on the ball, maybe they should come out with, uh, you know, something uh, like a Vaseline or something that can be used uniformly across all international cricket for a particular period of time, say one year or two years, as long as this, uh, this saliva ban is there. Uh, but apart from that, I think it's this, this whole talk about just saliva being so instrumental in reversing the ball. I think that's a bit overrated.
2: May I come in back in here for a second?
4: Yeah. Okay.
2: I think um, yeah. one of the things that might be important to remember that in England anyway, the um, agreement to restart the game has been made in conjunction with the government. So I I think it would be a mistake to think of the game as deciding these regulations entirely. And it is the government who have a problem with saliva. So I don't think the game would restart if they use saliva. And personally, if I'm looking ahead to the future of cricket, I think this might be a game changer in in terms of... I don't particularly see this virus going away quickly. If it does go away, it might well come back in a slightly different form. We may have to say goodbye to saliva. It might be the end of it. It's just gone. So uh, they're going to have to find other ways. Fair
0: enough,
2: so- And And sweat is absolutely fine. The Duke's ball will swing both
4: conventionally and reverse with sweat and just hard work. Um, in fact, uh, just if I can just add on here, George, If you, uh, I mean, last year when, uh, not last year, last to last year when India were touring England and uh, Ravi Ashwin had a good, I, I wouldn't say he had a fantastic England tour, but he had a good good England tour. And one of the things that actually he said after that England tour was, let's make Duke's ball the, the ball throughout test cricket. Let, let's, let's do away with SG ball and the Kookaburra and everything. Right. So if you use the Duke's ball, whether you're playing in India, you're playing in Australia or England, if you work hard on the ball, there's conventional swing to be found. The ball is going to do something throughout the innings, throughout the 80-odd uh, overs that it's available. So I think that could be one of the solutions. Um, and, and George is, of course, right, that it's the government who said that you can't use saliva. And I'm personally of the opinion that uh, once cricket restarts, everybody would want to restart cricket, seeing how it has been restarted in England, which is a very, very crucial thing. So... If it is not being used in England, it probably won't be used in India or Australia. I mean, the same rule would apply everywhere.
6: Fair enough. Now, George, since you mentioned that you you do not see COVID going away too soon and it is there to last and, and you, you don't see this change uh, reversing anytime soon, do you think pink ball, as a, as a matter of fact, gains uh, too much importance now or, or should test cricket move primarily to ball cricket now, uh, given that it continually swings and helps bowlers?
2: Um, well, I should say that I'm no expert on the health side of things. But all I would say is people uh, do talk about uh, finding a vaccine with, um, as if it's just going to happen. And haven't people been looking for a vaccine for AIDS for 40 years or something? and haven't found one yet. So I, I'm no expert. I'm a cricket journalist, you know. But I, I, I wouldn't presume that everything's going to go back to the way it was, I, I think, You know, what do I know? But it is possible that life's changed forever. Um, And life's actually changed in another way as well, in that I think public tastes may have changed and that the appetite for very high-scoring test matches and draws over five days has probably gone. Certainly, my appetite for that has gone. I would much rather see 200 v 180 rather than 700 v 600. Uh, and and personally, I think that uh, very flat wickets. And you'll remember the Trent Bridge Test between England and India a few years yes. ago. Yes. Um, uh, many of the Test wickets in New Zealand that I'm afraid I've sat through. Um, the Nagpur Test match in 2012. Y- you can think of quite a lot of Adelaide Test matches as well. I think those wickets are too flat. Even and I think they create Melbourne ad- even Melbourne off late. Oh, Melbourne, we had a shocker there, didn't we? Um, that was horrific. That was a, that's a brilliant example. But th- look, you could think of them all around the world, so I'm not criticising one country or another. And part of the issue with the pink ball is it doesn't do very much. It goes very soft, both the Dukes and the Um It doesn't swing. It goes very soft, and it creates quite attritional cricket. Well, I don't think that's the future. I, I don't have a lot of uh, faith in that uh, connecting with a new audience. So, although day-night cricket is a lot of fun in some places—not in England—but uh, in some places, uh, I think they've got to. I think they've got to try and play it with a red ball, um, or, or improve the technology. And um, uh, at the moment, I don't think the pink ball works. I think it creates quite dull cricket, if I'm honest. And I'm not sure personally that the Cuckoo is to my taste either. But generally, as a general rule. I think the game, the the long format game, the test format and first class is slightly more entertaining when the ball just holds a little bit of extra power over the bat. Just a little bit. You still want to get the balance about right. But I think 700 600 will kill the game. I really do. I think that flat pitches are as big a danger as test cricket faces. So um, let's not do anything that negates the power of the bowler. Because uh, I say again, at least in the longest formats, I think the ball should be slightly on top. And I think that's exactly the opposite. The shorter the format, the more, I think, the bat should hold uh, dominance. But it's just a, just a view.
6: This ban on saliva would, would, would create uh, changes in how, how, how teams' uh, uh, composition of the 11 that, that the teams do, basically? Uh, do, you, do you feel that? Uh, basically, you see more all-rounders being played because of uh, more bowlers being needed due to due to flattish surfaces and even lesser swing due to non-use of saliva. Do you think that are
1: I think I think nothing can be said with certainty at this point in time. Because we are looking forward to watching the game that is coming up between England and the West Indies. Uh, is, is the benchmark, sort of. Uh, we will see a lot of things in that. Uh, in, in the in the West Indian lineup, we have uh, seen that they have employed a number of fast bowlers, which means that they are also foreseeing something good with the Duke's cricket ball. Basically, uh, Duke and the Kukabura. Then uh, there will be a quarrel between these two manufacturers will start, and Duke, as George, uh, you know very well, know that Duke is Duke because of the pronounced seam of it and because of the that seam it gives this much assistance to bowlers like james anderson that's why he has had 80% of his wickets on those wickets uh, on those those surfaces so this is a very good debate that should we uniform uh, the use of ball or the type of ball but it will then create a sort of a, a rift between two giants of of manufacturers like like the Kukabura and the Duke and all.
6: Moving on, I think, uh, George, do you think this was, this was a good time to legalize ball tampering? Um, that's a good question.
2: Uh, depends what you mean. I actually think the laws are pretty good. I, I think okay. that um, I quite often hear players say, oh, the laws are a bit unclear. And I've asked them a couple of times, well, have you actually read them? And they go, no. (laughs) So, for example, do you remember when uh, Faf du Plessis got done for putting... The mint again? The the mint. Look, (laughs) it was pretty clear he was wrong. You're allowed to have a mint in your mouth, yeah? And you're allowed to have the mint here and take the saliva from here, or you used to be able to, and put it on the ball. That's absolutely legal. What you're not allowed to do is directly transfer from the mint. Now, the laws make this really clear. You've just got to read them, really. Um, there are a couple of details which I think um, the umpires could look at again. I don't really see the problem with throwing the ball in on the bounce. To me, that takes a certain a little bit of skill. In the same way that bowling scrambled seam it requires a little bit of skill. If you get it wrong, yeah, if you get it wrong several times, you have ruined both sides of the ball and you're bowling just with an old dog toy, aren't you? Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I actually, I, I, I personally wouldn't like to see bottle tops or sandpaper. I, I think the game still has to be about skill. Uh, and um, let's see what happens with the saliva thing. But what you tend to find is that bowlers find a way, very good bowlers find a way. And in the same way that Wazim Akram or Kapil Dev or Jimmy Anderson would have swung any ball, Cooker for a Dukes, SG, anything, any condition, they'll find a way. So you don't want to make it too easy. I suppose we might be at the start of a new phase and we might want to, to look at what happens in the next few years, if this really is the beginning of a new era. But I wouldn't rush into allowing them to ball tamper when you just take a little bit of the skill out of it. I Just, it, just going back a few years, the, the, the UK media, and I'm very much saying before my time, were hugely distrusting of reverse swing. Uh, and, and there may even be a bit of racism about the, the behind the view that, you know, oh, if these bowlers are making the ball do that, they must be cheating. And it just <laughs> turned out that they were brilliant. And then England learned to do it, and now when the Australians whisper, (laughs) uh, we just dismiss it as nonsense. And it was the same, actually, with mystery spin. Uh, England distrusted it until they found a couple of people who could do it. Uh, And and I think that 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 logic uh, sustains for this area as well, which is that moving the ball, doing what people like Jimmy Anderson and Dale Stein can do is wonderful. Let's not cheapen it for making it too easy. Not, you know, let's see how it goes for a bit and not change something that's worked actually quite well uh, for 150 years or whatever. Uh, so let's just keep an open mind as we go forward, I think.
6: Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty glad you talked about players not reading or not being aware of the rules completely. I mean, I read just yesterday, I think uh, that Ross Taylor confessed he wasn't Sure, or he didn't know about it, that the World Cup final, if it was a tie, there was a super-over, it was going to happen. I mean, he said, I just walked up to the umpire and, and I wanted to say good game. But then I realised that there is a super-over that is to be had. So yeah, definitely, you, you, you make a fair point there.
2: I don't know, there's just been a book published, which I've got here, about England's okay. World Cup win. I haven't read it yet, I've just, I've just been sent it. But I do know that during the World Cup, the, the final few minutes of the World Cup, Trevor Bayliss, the England coach, told me this, I think. Uh, one of the support umpires, can't remember which one I do, I remember his name, but I can't remember which role it was, so I won't name him, told England the tiebreaker and got it wrong. So, t- to be fair, there are moments when uh, the, the playing regulations or laws, the playing regulations more often, are quite complicated and may differ from the, um, the normal laws so it's it's completely legitimate to need to check and to get things wrong occasionally but uh, it does show that even at the very end of these huge games very experienced people can get it wrong actually that World Cup final that was played in Barbados in 2007 the umpires got that wrong too didn't they? they (laughs) they came back on didn't they? Uh, it was a ridiculous situation Um, yeah so that's two World Cup finals we thought of right there where the umpires got it wrong right at the end but, you know, just the point being that sometimes the laws of our wonderful game can be a little bit confusing. So I guess we cut people some slack. Um, but in terms of ball tampering, just to go back to the thing, I, I think what's already there is actually it kind of works. And uh, I wouldn't want to throw it out just yet. Fair enough. Uh, Chetan, now that you
6: mentioned that you you feel that, Pace bowlers have been dominating. We've been reading all about it, how, how so many pace bowlers have averages in mid-20s or low-20s. You're right on that. But then, uh, now that you see the balance shifting towards the batsmen a bit, do you think that uh, uh, Sachin mentioned uh, in one of his interviews recently that uh, maybe uh, introduce a change of ball every 45 overs in test cricket? Do you, do you feel would that be a solution? What, what do you think I mean, could be a solution, could be a, an alternative?
4: Well, I mean, if I say that Sachin Tendulkar is saying something that is, you know, that doesn't work for cricket, uh, I don't think anybody would allow me to work in cricket anymore. However, uh, I should say that I sort of disagree with him on this. That, you know, when you say that, OK, let's, let's introduce a new ball altogether after 45 overs, you're changing the texture of the game. You're changing the complexion of the game. I mean, test cricket has such a long history where... Yeah, one ball has to last. I mean, yes, there was a point at at some point that rule was introduced. Okay, that you have a new ball after every 80 overs. And, of course, now you have DRS and this and that. So many new rules every time. And, of course, like George said, we are entering a whole, um, you know, era of the unknown here. So, lots lots of changes. But 45 overs is, is what, one and a half sessions, to be honest? Yeah. I mean, if Ravindra yeah. Jadeja is bowling from one end, that's one and a half <laughs> sessions of test cricket. So, yeah. 45 overs that that could have a huge impact on you know how the game progresses a, a new ball after every 45 overs maybe reduce it to 70 maybe 60 um, i'm not sure again like i said you can't really say sachin Tandulkar is wrong however uh, just to add on to what george was saying earlier that yes you know to to we have to look at it from a perspective that what what happens if we don't find a vaccine what what happens when if the virus doesn't go away on its own so uh, and of course, to his point that people don't have the appetite for 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 high-scoring test matches. To that end, why not, maybe this is the time to experiment further, take the four-day test match experiment a bit further. Because if the wicket is flat, and you know that one team is going to end up scoring 500 and 600 and then try and bowl the other team out, especially when they can't apply saliva on the ball, if it is a four-day test match, then nobody's going to bat until they have 600 on the board. They, they'll have to be satisfied with 300, 350, because at the end of the day, wins will matter. Nobody's going to switch on television sets and say, okay, four-day test match ending in a draw or, uh, you know, uh, getting rained off. So no, nobody wants to watch that. So a four-day test match, even if there's no saliva, even if the pitch is a little flat, um, I think that it is a time that we can experiment with that say okay instead of changing the ball at 80 overs change it at 70 overs and um, you know let's have a four-day test match so you change the ball at 70 overs you're bowling 110 overs a day so you get two new balls to bowl in a day and a four-day test match yeah I mean you you could get a good
2: result. Completely agree, agree with Chetan I just wonder whether Sachin's got shares in ball making companies (laughs) <laughs> it,
0: it's I a bad idea really
2: because yeah you're you're basically taking reverse swing largely and spin out of the game it's uh, yeah, yeah, I, yeah it's 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 one of the skill i mean you're changing the game a lot if you do that um i don't i don't but really no, know I where think, that came from
6: i think Sachin was just just trying a few left field ideas maybe and, and talking about four-day cricket, I mean, given we're not able to get 90 overs in a day, I mean, you'll need four Ravindra Jadejas, I feel, Chetan, bowling in tandem to get um, 100 or 110 <laughs> overs in a day.
4: Yeah, I think, no, I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, the over rates will suffer. Over rates will have to change. We, You know, they'll have to bowl quicker. I think in a four-day test match, the sessions are a bit longer. I'm not sure. I mean, you, in a, in a domestic match, first-class match, when you bowl for, four when you have four-day matches, 90 to 110, especially in England, in county cricket, if I'm not wrong, because I'm playing you know cricket manager all the time on my phone, so I have to bowl 110 overs so, a day. Not, so, not
2: anymore. Not anymore. So, not anymore. Okay, so, okay. In, in, so I need to update my game.
4: Yeah, I need to update my game. When
2: I was 10 or so, and started uh, to okay. go to a county cricket, they bowled 122 or something a day. Yeah, but so even like if... The standard yeah. was pretty mediocre, because you ended up with lots of very flat spinners. You, yeah. you ended up with Jadeja bowling 50 overs a day, basically, which is yeah. not really what you want. Uh, you want it to. No, be we had a no. test, of course, against England v Ireland at Lords, and it worked quite well. Quite well. I think the key thing is you you can't look at bowling more overs. It's just not going to happen. Uh, it's okay. It's unrealistic. You're not going to get Shannon Gabriel to get through his overs quicker. It's just not going to happen. But what you could do is ensure the pitches were a bit more helpful to bowlers again. If the ball and the pitches are suitable, there is probably a time and a place for four day cricket. You don't need to do it in the ashes. You don't necessarily need to do it when England and India and Australia meet because those games will sell just fine. But maybe uh, for some other tests and some other test series, that might be worth thinking about. But you have to get the pitches and the ball right. Because if you have high scoring four day draws. You're just killing test cricket.
6: Fair enough. Fair enough. I think enough of saliva talk. Sumer, maybe you'd like to take it forward though?
5: Sure. Sure. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Shivam and uh, Chetan and uh, <clears throat> George and Asubhai. Um, It was actually an insightful uh, discussion. So, uh, we'd want to now move on, on to our next topic of discussion, which is around um. um uh, changes to the game, specific, especially in relation to the umpires. Um, so, uh, you know, the, the, the guideline is to not mandate people having uh, non-neutral umpires. So basically, you can have sort of uh, local umpires in the game and and do with it, of course, to uh, logistically make the game more, um, uh, you know, easy to, uh, to manage. Now, having said that, um, well, we we used to have a lot of um, uh, such kind of arrangements where local umpires would also officiate, uh, you know, in earlier years. Do you think, um, Chetan? I'll start with Chetan. Do you think that um, overall the umpiring quality is going to uh, not be as good? You know, remember when in 80s and 90s we had no ICC panels. It looks like we are probably moving to that uh, era again. What do you think, Chetan?
4: Okay, first of all, no. I mean, the umpiring standards in the 70s, 80s were pretty horrendous. I mean, you uh, you look at uh, Sunil Gavaskar not agreeing with the with a decision, LBW decision, and you know having an issue with um, you know the umpire giving him out, and having a having a fight with Australian paces, or or maybe you should just read up about India-Pakistan series in the 70s and 80s and. You know, the umpiring was horrific, horrific. So we are nowhere near that level, let me just assure you. However, having said that, yes, um, I would not say the umpiring today is bad because, I mean, come on, everybody has a bad day at his job. And uh, it's not easy checking the no-ball line every time. I think last year when um, the TV umpires started taking note of the no-balls, I think that was a marvellous, marvellous introduction in, in terms of umpiring in the game. Um, Having said that, uh, you know, what really irks me every time, it just irritates me so much that every time there's a stumping call or a run-out call, the umpire will just do this. Even if the batsman is in by half a mile, the umpire will just do this. So what we need is to hold the umpires culpable for the decisions they make. If the player's match fee can be docked, if the players can be given demerit points, we also need to start docking match fees of umpires and match referees as well as giving them demerit points. Because A, if you give them demerit points and they are taken off the elite panel, then it creates an a vacancy and then you need to fill the vacancy. So by promotion relegation, you're having a larger panel of umpires. But again, for me, it is about holding the umpires culpable for the decisions that they make. They, they just, I mean, the batsman is halfway down the crease and you just can't do this and ask the third umpire to say, okay, he's out or not out. You just can't do that. No way.
5: What you're saying is there still is um, a promise and it's just that umpires need to be slightly pushed in that direction.
4: Yeah, so right now nobody is pushing the umpires. I mean, there is no check in terms of like like George was alluding to the World Cup final. Uh, it was not just about the tiebreaker that the umpires had it wrong. In fact, one of the umpires, uh, uh, one of the umpires or one of the ex empires spoke about it in the media. The overthrow of Ben Stokes was given a boundary. It should never have been given a boundary. So you don't give it a boundary. The match is never tied. You don't go to two super overs and the whole <laughs> shenanigans don't happen and New Zealand win a World Cup. So. Leaving that aside, was there, did anybody ask the umpires, why didn't you know the rule? Okay, fine, heat of the moment. But it's now happened, as George pointed, in two World Cup finals. Nice. And the ODI World Cup is the pinnacle of, ODI World Cup final is the pinnacle game of cricket, in fact. So nobody is holding the umpires or the match referees accountable I think we need to start docking them fees or giving them demerit points we, we really need need to have a check on the empires right and having said that um, there still is a talk around
5: the fact that uh, especially in the subcontinent uh, you know more so in India and um, Bangladesh there is you know, a dearth of the ICC panel um, uh, of the umpires on the ICC panel, uh, we have I guess one from you uh, from Pakistan, though. But uh, we are okay in terms of Australia. One from India and as England. well. England, yeah. Just one, one from India from as well. From India. Uh, so, yeah. do you see slightly less balanced, um, um, you know, uh, uh, approach there? Not approach, actually. Uh, do you see a less balance overall?
4: And do you, do you know the reason behind it, Chetan? Um, I'm not sure if I know the the exact reason behind it because I mean there are so many umpires in domestic cricket, club cricket. Everybody wants to make a mark. Um, you know, it, it's not easy to become an umpire. You have to you have to pass a lot of examinations, get a lot of experience to you know even to get in the BCACI panel for Ranji Trophy. Forget the ICC Elite panel. I mean that's 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 like a mountain that you need to climb. I'm not saying it can't be done. It can be done, but Yes, Indian cricket especially needs a structured um, focus on cultivating a new uh, panel of umpires. I mean, um, the other thing, obviously, I mean, if you see a lot of the umpires that are coming from, say, Sri Lanka or Pakistan or Australia, quite a few of them sometimes can be ex-players as well. So are a lot of ex-players in India or in subcontinent countries, or, or even in Australia, England, are they interested in becoming empire, umpires anymore? Because uh, becoming a broadcaster, sitting on Star Sports and Fox Sports and Sky Sports and earning a lot of money, I think that's a much more lucrative, lucrative. option. So <laughs> we we need to figure out a structured manner in which we also bring up umpires and not just um, and not just focus on uh, cricketers alone. And in fact, uh, with the rules now changing that a lot of home umpires will be used in international cricket because you can't have elite uh, ICC umpires traveling because of the travel regulations. So maybe this might just be a, a boon for the umpiring, in inter- umpiring standards in international cricket.
5: Just a short answer for this one. So are you suggesting that the structure of the um, domestic uh, cricket in India is slightly diverse and more complex, therefore, to get to the ranks even at BCCI level is difficult. That's why uh, people in India are not sort of, uh, you know, it's not so easy to to uh, get there as,
4: for example, opposed to in England and Australia. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Oh, I mean, okay. it's, it's, I mean, yes, we have what, 20 25 teams in our ranji trophy structure but what what about the structure below that the club structure the college structure i mean it's a wilderness i mean yes you have australia i mean you look at australia and england they- their clubs their club culture is properly defined their coaching mm-hmm. structure their umpiring okay. structures are mm-hmm. properly defined today in india anybody can open a cricket academy i mean especially if you're okay. a famous name so uh, coaching certification perhaps is not that necessary to open a cricket academy in India or right, to just have yeah. a you know, club going. But if you look yeah. at Australia or England or maybe even South Africa for that matter, it's much more structured. And uh, I think from a grassroots level, we not only umpiring but also coaching. Uh, you, you talk about ex-cricketers getting into coaching some of them go for certification, a lot of them don't go for certification. That then brings
5: me to one more aspect of, of this uh, guideline, which is, uh, you know, we talked about poor quality and so on. Uh, the ICC has given um, uh, a green light to having one more DRS per innings in, in, in these uh, games post uh, COVID. Now that's an interesting sort of um, move forward. However, given the fact that there was already some talk going on around having another uh, DRS anyway in the test, do you think this will address that? Having one more will address the fact that there's probably a gap? A, B. If so, are we overall undermining the, um, uh, you know, the, the, the uh, influence of the on-field empire overall,
2: George? Probably. I mean, there's a, look, there's so much here. Um... I don't think anyone thinks having these um, local umpires that uh, there is going to be bias necessarily. I don't think that's what people are worried about. It's the perception. It is showing that you have done everything to make sure that the the decision-making is free of bias. So that's why you want neutral umpires. And personally, I don't think we should go back there. I can see how it's desperately unfortunate if you are, say, an English umpire who never gets to stand at Lord's uh, in a test, that's, that's, that's really, really rough. Mm-hmm. Um, but the greater good is that you don't want to go back to the days where even if an umpire, an honest umpire made an honest mistake, there was then the perception that there could be some sort of corruption or bias, even subconscious bias involved. So we just can't go back there. It was rubbish. We've been there. We've done it. We've moved on. Um, there's lots of reasons why there are lots of quite good English umpires. I can't really speak for other countries, but the, the uh, Professional Cricketers Association, uh, the union the players, has pretty much used it as a development tool for, so that cricketers retiring you know, quite young can move into a secondary career quite quickly. So they are promoted very quickly if they're good. So you get young men at the moment, young men, there's absolutely no reason why women shouldn't be international umpires at that level as well. That will happen, no doubt, quite sh- shortly. But it means you've got young people with young people's reflexes and perhaps also with decent relationships with the players so they understand the modern tensions in the game and they can work with them in the way that someone like Moray Erasmus is so good, maybe not the best decision maker, but brilliant at diffusing tension, ensuring the game keeps going. So that's why there are some quite good English umpires, because it's been part of the development system and they've uh, promoted talent quite quickly. So look, I'm not particularly worried about um, the, uh, uh, the local umpires here. <laughs> I'm not particularly worried about DRS. I think it's inevitable that that will happen more. I think it will just mean that... Uh, Fielding captains will probably gamble a bit more. Opening batsmen will probably gamble a bit more. Uh, I, you know, just be, it'll be uh, used as another tactic. Um, th- there are criteria by which the umpires are measured already. I can tell you. I mean, you don't have to be a genius to work out that they're, they're, they're in a bit of a group. But Joel Wilson is a long way behind. Um, I, I, is it unfair to name him? Yeah, Probably. Uh, that's why the ICC don't, because they don't want to, you know, lampoon a guy who's doing his best but might not mm-hmm. be up to it. But mm-hmm. the fact is, there are criteria and he may have to be cut adrift because he's, mm-hmm. he's he, you know, we all live in a meritocracy and he's not really doing it. And now we all understand that good umpires make mistakes. I mean, they're human. Okay. Uh, and, and we've got to be understanding of that. But I don't think that DRS slows down the game too much. I actually think the crowd in the stadium, quite enjoy it. Uh, Mm -hmm. On TV, it can be a bit slow. I don't know. Look, the game is so professional. There's so much money involved. There's Mm -hmm. so much importance in getting the decisions right. that It's inevitable that there's going to be a a bit more reliance on technology and an ever-decreasing amount of power in the on-field umpire's hands. Is it a bit sad? Yeah. Does the game change? Absolutely. Not really, either better or worse. It's just a bit different. Pani, funny, funny
6: you mentioned uh, opening Batchman and uh, DRS. I mean, Watson would have loved to play in this era of three DRS.
5: I mean, he would have loved
2: it. <laughs> <laughs> he could have, used, he right. could have used them all in the first over, couldn't he? That's going to be brilliant. Whether batting or bowling. Brilliant.
5: Right. Um, here I'd like to... Um, uh, Uh, Have Asif's um, point uh, uh, noted as well. I'd like to understand from Pakistan's perspective, okay? Um, And and this is maybe a connection to what Chetan earlier said, which was the structure of the 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 structure of the domestic format um, has has sort of you know uh, been a bottleneck, if I may call it that. Now, how Pakistan overall has not played so much cricket at home in the last ten years or so, yet have produced well. Um, very good umpires what is your take on that A, B and how do you see the advent of technology more and more in the um, in the game influencing uh, the umpiring quickly there Uh,
1: basically that 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 element of biasness I think should not be counted upon uh, much now because time has changed you have at least 25-26 cameras on, on the umpires so the, uh, the the element of uh, making a deliberate error is not possible. Or, you know, it's highly unlikely. On Pakistan's part, yeah. Pakistan Cricket Board has a separate department to groom the umpires. They, they do uh, carry out uh, tests. They do carry out, you know, uh, certifications and all. And we have umpires like uh, like Aleem Dar is, everyone knows Aleem Dar. And then, there is Ehsan Raza. He's a very, very good umpire. Uh, and they both are from, from a cricketing uh, you know, cricketing LA. Like, they are first class players. Ex-first class players. So, so people are going there. Young people are going there in two fields. One is the uh, match referee field and the other one is the umpiring field. People are in Pakistan are taking it seriously. But still as compared to the other job like somebody else mentioned that uh, you know holding a mic of a big broadcast is is something which everyone wants to do but uh, everyone can't do that so you know you have to do something else but this umpiring is is uh, should be taken into consideration and should should be taken seriously by ex players mm-hmm. by other players in mm-hmm. in the Pakistan cricket setup in the Pakistan cricket setup as far as I know because I checked the last time uh, I think uh, you've got to have uh, some sort of a cricketing background or a cricketing experience to enter this field uh, I will mm-hmm. double check check it I know for a fact that if you want to have a coaching certification for that you've got to play at least a, a bunch of uh, first-class games that I know but Is it applied on the umpiring, uh, you know, uh, aspect also? I got to check it. But uh, as far as the people that I know who who are in the in in this umpiring, yes, they are former first-class players. They are, uh, uh, yeah, they are the first-class players, former Mm first-class players. But people got people got to step in. And uh, as uh, Chetan was uh, mentioning about about the Indian Mm -hmm. uh, first-class system here in pakistan the number of games have shrunk now since the last two uh, since the last uh, season the number of the total number of first class games are are 30 31 30 31 means uh, and we have about five six venues so uh, more or less about 20 22 people are engaged in a first class season top top umpires in pakistan cricket pa- uh, pakistan cricket board has has its own elite panel of umpires then there there is a uh, uh, lower grade then there is a lower grade then there is you know so this sort of uh, uh, uh tables or this sort of uh, uh, you know steps are there to be okay an elite okay. umpire in the country mm-hmm. to be the elite umpire in the empire in the country Perfect. Great.
4: yeah I just Thank want you. to just want to add uh, yeah if i can just want to add on uh, Asif's point, uh, it's not like the Indian, uh, don't get me wrong, it's not like the Indian structure of umpiring and all that's not, it's not well structured or the BCCI doesn't regulate and the the Ranji umpires or the club Mm umpires, they don't need to pass exams and everything. No, they do. I mean, BCCI is very stringent in that regard. They have regular examinations. I mean, you have to take courses, in fact, if you want to exactly. do umpiring at the Ranji Trophy. What I want to say, what I was suggesting was that while it is structured in a regular sort of way, there is not enough focus on cultivating a higher level or a higher breed of high quality umpires. I mean, right now we have mm-hmm. three or four international level umpires and only one in the ICC elite panel, a country like India, which is fueling the world cricket economy, where IPL is the biggest showpiece in world cricket right now, the Indian team is the biggest eyeball grabber in world cricket right now. Why are there so few elite ICC elite umpires? So that's what I'm asking for a bigger focus on cultivating more elite level umpires. The structure is there in place. It is a very good structure. It's just that a little more focus a little more spotlight and make the umpiring job you know that people can aspire to no not, not not everybody wants to be an umpire in cricket umpire in india everybody wants to play cricket everybody wants to do commentary become a journalist want to wants to do podcasts nobody wants to become an umpire <laughs> all right
5: okay so people uh, need to see umpire umpiring as they would See batting in India. Okay, good. Uh, Now that um, let's move along and talk about uh, a slightly um, different aspect of of the post COVID cricket, which is the substitution. Um, It has been um, um, said that uh, there will be a like for like substitution in in cases of COVID like illnesses. Um, And it's uh, sort of uh, like a um, concussion kind of a rule. uh, The match referee will approve uh, such a change. Um, And my question is sort of general, but I'd start with um, with George here. My point uh, to understand is, uh, how do you see the game continuing?
2: For example, if a certain- I don't, I don't don't see it works. It doesn't work. The difference is concussion, (laughs) Uh, obviously, you don't pass on to anyone you breed upon. There's no contagious element to concussion. Uh, surely if someone gets it, everyone they've been in the dressing room with is going to be taken into isolation as well. Right so I, don't, okay. I, I, I just don't see how it works. I'm afraid if this happens, the game's over. So that's why they've been extremely cautious. Look, even as media, I think there are 12 of us, written media, who are allowed to go to these games. And uh, certainly in Manchester... No, in e- everywhere, actually. We're separated. Obviously, we've got two metres apart in the rooms. We're not allowed to use the press box. or in a specific room. But in Manchester, we're two in each room, which means that if one of us goes down or even has a high temperature, um, only the other person has to leave as well. But anyone we've been into contact with would not be allowed to go in, would they? That, that's, that's how it works. You would surely have to go into isolation. I don't see them taking any chances. I just don't see how they could. because And again, remember, it's not up to the cricketing authorities. It's up to the government. Um, You know, it was the government who decided that Pakistan won't be going to Birmingham, for example. It wasn't cricket. Um, So uh, I don't see that it's going to work. I I like the idea in principle, but uh, it is, um, I don't know. I mean, unless I'm being really dumb and not understanding something, and Lord knows there's precedent for that. But I just don't quite see how it's going to work if you know at first slip says i'm not feeling very well they have the temperature taken they have a fever surely the wicket keeper second slip they've gone too haven't they or have i missed something so unless you're <laughs> going to allow half a dozen substitutions and even then they've been in contact with the umpires and the opposition doesn't work does it i missed missing something. right
5: right um interesting point it may be a related um, uh, question so the Advent of the 30-minute uh, rapid testing. So if that is available, and I'm not really very sure if it's um, available in the next um, England and West Indies. Maybe, George, you have some information about it?
2: Uh, no, I don't. I know that... Um, I, ca- I can't remember how... It's, it's within 24 hours you're getting the test results at the moment. And, and we're getting screened uh, at least twice a day. I mean, as, as a journalist, we'll get tested... I get tested next week. I think we get tested every five days throughout the series. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we get screened at least twice a day uh, just before we even sit down. And that's, I mean, I, I'm all for it. Uh, I, I feel uh, very fortunate uh, that they've let us in, actually. And also very fortunate they try to look after everybody. Uh, and the bigger picture is that to get the game on and to retain any sort of um, financial credibility... Go forward they have these games have to be played um, we have to jump through a lot of uh, hoops and that's absolutely right but I don't see even if even if the, the test results were 30 minutes well, what do we do do we stop for 30 minutes <laughs> I mean, no really do we and, and and what you know imagine we're nine it's nine wickets down England are batting for a draw you know Jack Leach is oh. there doing what he does and he suddenly goes <laughs> you know what I'm feeling a bit hot well, what happens? We call really? it a draw. I'm not suggesting he would. He's not that guy. We've seen him. He's a hero, isn't he? But, <laughs> um, but you can see how there could be the perception of misuse. Interesting. Anyway, very interesting. I, I, I'm open minded. They seem to have thought of an answer for everything so far. I genuinely think I'm very critical of the ECB very often and very often with good reason. I could not praise them enough for getting this on. In the current circumstances. You know, things in England have not been good. There's a lot yeah. of cases, quite a lot of people have died. I mean, 50,000 or more people are dead. It's a big deal, yeah? And and they've got international cricket on. They have persuaded people from the Caribbean, where there's, some of these islands haven't had uh, very, very few cases, and they've got them to fly into England. It's amazing. So they deserve a lot of credit for that. But I don't see how this bit works. Right. And I remember there was already
5: some discussion with, with the, uh, with the uh, medical committee and the ICC's uh, cricket committee, which is held by, um, is basically um, uh, managed by uh, Anil Kumle. They already discussed this in the meeting and still uh, sense didn't prevail. So That's sort of, um, uh, I'm not sure what to call it, but uh, what do you think? I mean, what happened that IC, ICC could not really have a proper or a sensible guideline out there, or did they
2: just, you know, had a, had a brain freeze or something? You're asking me? Yeah. Uh, um, well, I, I, look, in a perfect world, I guess there could be a scenario where it helps. So there could be a scenario where someone wakes up in the morning and doesn't come out of the hotel room and says, Do you know what, I'm not feeling very well. And they decide that they can carry on the game. I mean, maybe. Personally, mm-hmm. I'd be surprised because presumably they've been in contact with people the day before and I just can't see them taking risks. I mean, imagine right. they said, OK, we'll take, say, Jimmy Anderson out of the attack. We'll replace him with, say, Chris Wokes. And then, you know, Stuart Broad goes down the next day and is dangerously ill a week later. I mean, that's not, they're not going to take that chance.
0: So mm-hmm.
2: uh, maybe there is an, uh, a, a potential situation where it could be of help. But you know, if I just run you through some of those potential scenarios, it's quite hard to see it, isn't it?
5: I'd like to move on and then uh, talk about a uh, slightly um, uh, uh, you know, related topic about uh, media presence. You talked about not just cricketers. I'll, I'll start with Asif. So um, how do you see, for example, um, the management of the media um, uh, uh, being, being, being uh, done, for example, especially as a source of potential infection, right? Uh, Are there any enforcements, um, and and maybe George as well uh, can comment on this. Are there any enforcements on the media front? Uh, What are you supposed to do and not do? Do you have some information uh, to give us around that?
1: Uh, Basically, what's going to happen there in uh, in England, I have no idea. But the rule is simple. Everyone has to follow the SOP. Everyone has to uh, avoid... Uh, the chance of getting infected. This is the rule, a cricketer, media person, umpire, commentator, or whoever you are. You've got to be looked uh, through the same lens, I would say, of of that security, of that biosecurity apparatus which has been set up. This is for everyone, be it a cricketer, be it a media person or anybody. George was saying, that uh, in some cases only two people are allowed in, uh, in 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 one room so these are the these are the measures that uh, are to be taken but the right. forefront uh, the, the foremost concern is to get uh, safe
5: perfect okay um all right okay um then um, about the media presence and and overall uh, you know uh, the 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 um, uh, the taste of the game. So, because there are no celebrations allowed, uh, or at least there is no body touching, uh, no crowds specifically, and potentially less sledging, perhaps um, in the f- in the game. Now, is the final product that we will we'll watch in two weeks going to be slightly inferior, at least for people who are watching it from their TV sets inside uh, their homes? A uh, and also, uh, there have been sort of talks So, because, um, you know, there are people who like to have crowd behind them. You know, uh, Shoa has already, already uh, talked a lot about it. Um, and VK likes it as well. I mean, I'm talking about Virat Kohli. Uh, so are TV broadcasters um, doing anything? Is there any, any um, initiative? And I know uh, Sky has talked about having like team specific crowd, um, you know, chants and so on and so forth. Uh, how do you see that impacting the game overall especially for uh for viewers who are also maybe for uh, people watching the game uh sorry uh, playing the game uh do would they like no crowds and how would it turn out for people outside the stadiums? maybe george can start and then uh, All right okay take it.
1: if you allow me if you allow me yes, to add please. something in that basically yes, please. and and george george can basically relate to that that as well george do you remember that 2012 series Pakistan versus England in the UAE 3-0. You remember that?
2: Of course. I, I was going to say the same thing.
1: Yeah, but we witnessed empty stadiums. So, we have been witnessing that since, I think, 2009, to be exact, if you ask a Pakistani. So, we have seen that all. We have gone through that all. It, it will not, uh, basically, I, I I think it will not affect that much. Players will be concentrating on the game, and they will do what they do best.
2: George? Well, spot on. Uh, we have experienced all this before. Even, you know, England, obviously, are very lucky in that they take a lot of people abroad with them. I mean, it is unusual. Yeah. And the supporters are very vocal. But that's, that's right. That That series in the UAE was a really good example. But we've seen it happen other places. There have been, there were days in New Zealand, in particular, where the game was heading to a draw and it was a bit boring. And there's no one there. And I think that if you're going to be an international sports person, you have to be so competitive that you cannot help but be competitive. I just, I just, I don't think they would know how not to be competitive. Um, right. So I think that once it starts, it might feel a bit strange. It might sound a bit different, but actually, uh, I think we'll all get into it. And you know, with uh, you, you, it would be naive, wouldn't it, to pretend that there aren't times when the crowds can help create an atmosphere. You know, that those amazing days where the crowd noise is deafening, and it, it definitely can add to that sense of excitement. Okay, well, that's gone. But it's really about the cricket, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And actually, I still think people watching on TV, and and the fact that Twitter or whatever the social media of choice is, can help people talk in real time just about. I still think think, so. It'll be a bit different, but I still think it'll happen. There'll still be some atmosphere, and I don't think the players will miss it very often, because as Mm -hmm. I say, they are naturally incredibly competitive, and most of them will have played in environments where it's been extremely quiet, whether it's tour games, uh, people exaggerate how few people go to county cricket, but they will have played on days when they haven't been and there. And they're professionals. And, uh, you know, they all understand what, what we're living through. We're living through a pandemic. These are extraordinary times. And they've got to get the game on. And they'll know that they're on TV. And they'll know that they're in a battle with the person who's got the bat or the ball. And I, I don't think it'll make a massive difference. But at the same
3: time, it would be lovely to have crowds back whenever we can. So, you know, we've talked about the ICC guidelines. I think uh, it's natural for us to also look at the players specifically and how they are impacted. Uh, if you consider the fact that almost uh, all the international cricketers haven't played a competitive match in almost three plus months, um, I believe we've seen in other sports like the Bundesliga, which is the first elite sports competition to come back, that um, elite athletes who are away from their game for a long time, when they come back, there's always a risk of injuries on the job. Um, To that that end, uh, George, do you believe that uh, England will be a little bit more proactive in terms of how they rotate their players, given the packed itinerary that is is tentatively scheduled for this summer, and given the fact that you have very limited breaks between series, could we see a situation in which a Jimmy is given off a match in, within the
6: series?
2: Good question. Uh, uh, yes. I mean, he's quite an interesting example. How old is he? I mean, he's almost in the at-risk category. Um, I think he has been injured in two of his last three tests, I think. He, even the last one he played was this last one he played in Cape Town. He won it for England, but he was still injured at the end of it. And he bowled through his um, what was it, a rib injury or whatever. So, uh, yeah, I don't see any way that he'll get through. Well, there are three back-to-back tests, a tiny break, and then three back-to-back tests. So. And the other thing is England surely at some stage need to look at continuity planning. So I would be very surprised if Shannon Gabriel played three back-to-back tests, for example, if Jimmy Anderson did, if if any of them did, really. And I don't think they should. I don't think Joffre should. I don't think Mark Wood should. Um, Jason Holder didn't bat really. Oh, sorry, batted for one ball. And he didn't bowl at all in the warm-up match they've just had. So, you know, it's hard to believe he's 100%, isn't it? Um, We're asking a lot of them, yes. We're asking a bit too much of them. Uh, so it is important for their coaches to be responsible. And I'm very confident they will be. All I would say is England have said this about rotating Jimmy Anderson and Stuart Broad every summer since about 2010 or <laughs> 2012. Certainly, they did get rested for one game in 2012. Tino Best went and got 95. Shows me what happens. Um, so you, you have to be... Um, mindful of the fact they've always said they're going to, and actually, how do you leave out Jimmy Anderson in English conditions? He's incredible, isn't he? So, uh, but I think this year they will have to and the points you raise, are, you know, it's spot on. It is a, a real worry for both sides and it would be awful if these uh, terrific athletes, you know, hurt themselves in a way that, you know, possibly could compromise their longevity in the game. Because someone like Shannon Gabriel, he's so big and so magnificent in full flight, But you want to see him at 80%. You want to see him being that brilliant 100% fast bowler. So, I hope that none of them are asked to play. None of the big fast bowlers, anyway, are asked to play all three of these sets in a row.
3: And, you know, while we're on the Jimmy and Broad uh, discussion, uh, do you think that this break might have refreshed them in any way? Uh, I know that Jimmy has been facing a lot of injuries back-to-back. But uh, can we expect to maybe see them tour India if there is a... Two to India this year, or and perhaps even the next Ashes.
2: I'll I'll make a little bet with you now, that um, that that Test series between India and England isn't played in India. Uh, I I I would just as a bet I bet you I would think that goes ahead in the UAE. And if England play the limited overs section as they're planned to in September, they leave in September October. October, I'll give yeah. you my first-born child if that takes place. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm reasonably... That's no inside knowledge. That's just a bet. I just can't see that happening, can you? Uh, um, which, is,
4: which is ridiculous because the IPL probably is going to go ahead at the same time. But there we are. Chetan? George, uh, just here, which series are you talking about in New England?
2: Uh, the test series that is meant to start in January. Yeah. I don't, okay. I'm just saying as a bet. But by all means, take yeah. me up on it. I'll bet you a beer. <laughs> no, gets,
4: no. No, 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 I no, bet. Um, that's in the <laughs> UAE. But I might be no, wrong. I, I, just, I, just, no, no, I just wanted to check which series you were talking about because actually there's a lot of India-England cricket coming up in the next 12 to 15 months. So I just wanted to check which series you're talking about.
2: Far too much. And that's another yeah. point. There's actually <laughs> 10 tests between India yeah. and
4: England in what? England. Eight, nine months? I months? Mean, no, no, no. Six months. Six oh, well, months, I mean, guess. you're looking at, you're looking at uh, January last week to March first week, that's the five test matches. And then, yeah. well, J- June last week or July first week, India is in England again for the five test matches. So yeah, but presume it finishes August,
3: August,
2: September. Yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. Okay. So within it, but, a span yeah, but, of six to six. But yeah. the
2: point is taken, um, yeah. they're going to play. I mean, how many times can I write Virat Kohli really good?
3: It's an interesting point, George. You're saying that India playing a test series in the UAE, uh, I know the Indian board has been a little bit strict, Chetan, on uh, you know uh, playing in non-traditional cricketing venues. Uh, I think a bit of it is a byproduct of you know the match-fixing et era, etc. They don't feel that the UAE is a, is a particularly uh, good place for the Indian team to be playing matches in. So uh, I don't know if we can expect an India England in UAE. No, uh,
2: maybe, maybe, it yeah. will, maybe it'll, there'll be five tests in Mumbai or something like that. <laughs> no, genuinely, Sports I, I, I yeah. think those are the sorts of possibilities. I'd be really surprised mm-hmm. if England play a five-test series in India, bearing in mind what's going on. But I, hey, mm-hmm. I might be wrong. I'm just... Yeah. Having to guess, and, uh, and that was a ridiculous answer because you asked me about Jimmy Anderson, didn't you, or something? And I, and I just got off on what about uh, where the test
3: will be in January. Ridiculous. Sorry. No, I think, yeah, very relevant point. Um, I can, um, yeah.
4: yeah, if, um yeah, I mean, George could be right here. I mean, uh, right now, I think every cricket board is searching for alternatives. Um, Sri Lanka is an alternative, UAE is an alternative, and I'm just talking about the IPL here. I mean, because why I'm talking about the IPL is because as good as what George is saying, um, yes, you need to plan ahead for the international fixtures. Let me tell you, the BCCI is not even thinking about it. Let me just be categorical and just say the BCCI is not even thinking about it. There's only one thing that the BCCI is thinking about, and that is the IPL. Why? 5,000 crores a year from one IPL season, 5,000 crores and five test matches, which are what? Television only. People can't go to the stadium. Test matches not valued at all in terms of sponsorship, in terms of broadcast or anything. In fact, you look at India's tour of Australia, Cricket Australia. I mean, I'm sure you guys, George included, everybody has been following How much noise is coming out of Australia regarding India's tour of Australia? That's in November and December. Has anybody heard anything said from the BCCI or an Indian player about India's tour of Australia? Not one. Why? Because they are concentrated or they are focused only on one thing, hosting the IPL. I'm assuming the IPL will happen at some point this year if UAE is all very good because it's starting to open up in UAE. Once the IPL dates are set and the schedule is out and everything, then the BCCI might just start (laughs) thinking about other things, about going to Australia, about inviting England over. Um, There's a lot of money that, that, that will be lost if those matches aren't played. But let's just assume that, okay, things don't improve and the IPL doesn't happen. And then you can either host the IPL. In February, March, things are still pacified and everything. So you can either host the IPL or you can host five test matches against England. What are you going to host? 5,000 crores versus, what, 300 crores, maybe, if you're lucky? It's it's a a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer. Except, except,
2: there are 16 countries in the T20 World Cup. And 16 countries need the revenue from it. And yet, the IPL, which has effectively already had a window this year, is now basically asking for another window. They might not define it, but that's pretty much what's happening. And if they don't get it, they're going to want another one after that. So it's entirely possible they'll be given a window, which they then can't utilise. So they'll ask for a third window within 12 months. And then they'll get the fourth one in the normal season time next year. Now, is that, is that from, from, yeah, from an Indian perspective, it's hugely lucrative. There might be quite a lot of fans, not just in India, but across the globe, who care about that more than anything else. There'll be a lot of other national, uh, nationalities really quite disappointed, and there'll be lots of cricket boards who are impoverished uh, to the point where they are barely surviving. So uh, I, the, the ICC have gone missing no leadership big surprise um australia and india who knows what they are thinking together about what the uh, the disappointing thing is australia uh, seem to have decided they can't host the ipl uh, sorry the ipl the, the, t20, the t20 World, Cup. World Cup. <laughs> now i find that a little bit disappointing because the cases in australia while it's still a challenge There are a lot fewer cases in Australia than there are in India. And we're talking about all the same players basically going to India. Puzzling? No? Is it just me? I'm puzzled. So if Australia (laughs) don't want to host it, give it to New Zealand, who are COVID-free right now, and um, forego the fact. You're not hosting it. But what instead they're saying is, we'll give our window to India. And then, by the way, we'll have the window again to host it the following year. Is that fair? I just... Uh, it seems to be a little bit of a carve-up.
4: Should I say I think, something? Please. <laughs> yeah, please. Um, it's it's an interesting one, what George says. It's, it's a little unfair, yes, in a way that, you know, IPL is the be-all and end-all. Because at the end, those are 60 same matches. One to 60, they're all same matches. Everybody's going to chase and, you know... Um, The IPL gets, at at some point during the tournament, the IPL gets really, really repetitive. Um, But here, or in fact, not just here, in the next two, three years, especially until 2023, 2024, um, commercials are going to define a lot of cricket, a lot of time that is devoted to which tournament, which tournament needs to be played and when and where. Now uh, there are a lot of ifs and buts here. If I mean England tour, sorry, West Indies tour of England and Pakistan tour of England, we're talking about creating biosecure environments or healthy environments for three teams. That's just three teams. Sixteen teams landing in Australia and playing across seven cities. Just it's to impossible you, to. It's it's seven
2: teams. Just just to run through it. Well, I, correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm doing this in my head. England men, England's women. Yeah? They're, they're, yeah? they're all playing this summer. Ireland are, 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 yeah. are coming to England. Australia meant to be coming to England. Pakistan, West Indies. And then uh, the women are meant to be playing against India and South Africa, I think, yeah?
4: Yeah, well, that's not going to go ahead. <laughs> okay, well, so that's actually eight teams, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. So yeah. I, I've just not... named
2: eight, eight teams, most of whom yeah. are going to be in the country at the same time. Okay? Yeah. So from yeah. Sunday or Monday, four of them will be here, I think at yeah. least. So, uh, and they, uh, okay, so it's not I agree. exactly the same. I agree. I'm not saying yeah. there are significant challenges, but it seems to me that each board has taken quite a selfish view, and maybe they should, maybe that's their role, to defend and uh, protect their own interests. But unless someone looks at the wider interests of all the countries who make up the ICC then what do we end up with at the end? We just end up with the situation we go in, two or three countries left, playing international cricket against each other. I think that'd be a shame. I think long-term, the sport diminish. And actually, long-term, even the IPL will diminish. Because unless the IPL has these great stars, which it's able to call on from, say, New Zealand or the Caribbean, then it's not as good a product, is it? So we have to encourage, no. even from the most selfish capitalist Um, viewpoint. We have to encourage others to help ourselves in the end. And the view seems to be so short-sighted, so selfish, that in the end they will damage cricket. And there's a reason why we need the World T20 to happen with 16 nations to encourage the growth around the game, which will eventually create a stronger IPL as well. That's all. It's not a black and white argument. It's not easy. There are not perfect solutions, but I do worry uh, when I look at what's happening now that we seem to be encouraging a tournament to go ahead in a nation where COVID seems to still be growing. And we're saying it's not going to take place in a country or part of the world, in New Zealand in particular, where it seems to have been subjugated at this stage. So, uh, And the reasons I don't really believe are about health. I don't really yeah. think they're even about wealth. <laughs> I think they're just about Self and do I think that's right? Should I come on a, a, a podcast that is mainly going to be viewed by people in India and say this? No, not if I want a happy Twitter life. But you know, that's that's my honest view.
4: It's not just about you know getting 16 teams into one country, that's just the one aspect. There's also the aspect that what happens to, uh, uh, yes, everybody is selfish. I mean, Cricket Australia doesn't want to host the T20 World Cup. They want to host India for five Test matches instead because they are getting three hundred million dollars out of it. How much are they getting from the T20 World Cup? Less than seventy million dollars. No, they get masses. They want both, but let's be very clear. They want to do both. That's that's what. No, they don't. They've already, okay. Cricket Australia has already written a letter to ICC that they cannot host this year. Yeah, they want to host next year.
2: Next year instead. So they want to do both. They're not. they not. No, cool they, they want, they want to do
4: 2021. It. No, no, yeah, they they right. want. Earl Eddings has sent a letter to the ICC.
2: Yeah, so which just clearly it. states.
4: Yeah. yeah, they want to do it next year, not this year. They want to do right. both. But yes, what is the priority both. this year? Yeah, they want to do both. Everybody. Yeah, they, why would they give it away? But my question is, this year, what is the priority? The priority for them is the Indian tour of Australia, which gives them three hundred million dollars. So. You can't expect the BCCI to send a team over first for the T20 World Cup, then send a team over for the Indian Tour of Australia, then then invite England over for for five test matches, and then in turn let go of an opportunity to play a tournament that's going to give you 5,000 crore rupees. That's just not going to happen. Because, yes, everybody's looking after their interests, but also the fact that a strong Indian cricket, a healthy Indian cricket, will be able to help out other nations as well. Over the next two, three years, short, short series of three ODIs and three T20s are going to be very useful for very, very different boards. India going to Sri Lanka for three ODIs and three T20s, going to South Africa for three ODIs and three three T20s. Right now, four cricket boards do not have broadcast rights. Cricket economy is totally dependent on broadcast rights. Totally and utterly. And... Four cricket boards right now do not have new broadcast deals, and they will go bust if they do not get those broadcast deals. How will they get those broadcast deals is when India confirms their next tour. And that is how the cricket economy is going to shape up over the next two, three years. You just cannot displease India. Yes, it's unfair. The world is unfair. Yes, but right now the game is in survival mode and you just can't say, okay, the BCCI cannot play the IPL and we'll play the rest of the tournaments That's, as it were, as they were scheduled. There's a lot of truth in that, a lot of yeah. truth in that. Uh, and
2: I don't think we completely disagree. But let's not pretend that yeah, the, yeah. these countries- No, I agree. Not, they earn yeah. quite a lot from playing in the World T20. It's very important to them. Uh, and, uh, or the T20 World Cup as it's now called. Uh, and it's just that my worry would be, I'll say again, that the IPL could end up with two, three, four windows within fourteen months, and there is a price to pay for that for everybody else. And everyone understands. Yeah. Look, everyone who loves cricket wants the IPL to happen. All the players want it to happen. Yeah. But at what cost? And particularly if they're trying to force it to happen at a time when it probably isn't sensible to happen. I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens. But but, uh, <laughs> and right around the world, people are really, really struggling right now. And uh, the world team, I don't want to
4: disappoint you, George, but as things are going and if they continue going the way they are, there'll be two IPLs. One in September, October and one in April, May next year. So just be ready <laughs> yeah, for well, that. That, that. That could easily <laughs> happen and, and that might
2: easily. Could, could accelerate the direction in which the game's going. And is that a good direction?
4: Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree with your points, but the realities are, are different of world cricket at the moment. I think some very
3: valid points made on the commercial aspects and the financial health of the game. Um, you know, just stepping back for a second and taking a look at the England West Indies series. Uh, the England Cricket Board extended uh, a loan to the West Indies Cricket Board uh, prior to this series. Uh, and by all, you know, by, by all looks of it, it seems that it was helped, uh, lent to them to facilitate this tour. To, the, to, to England, because the West Indies cricket board is obviously facing uh, significant uh, cash flow issues. Uh, you know, is this an example of how we can work together? I mean, we, we, are, we are obviously com- having competing interests with the IPL, the P20 World Cup, our own uh, domestic yes. uh, bilateral series.
2: Yes. Yes, it's so, good. Look, the, the, the worry is not so much that it was an inducement tour because um, it, it has helped them tour, no doubt, but uh, it's not so much that. West Indies want to tour England, really, anyway. Their, their principal sponsor is Sandals, which is a, a big holiday destination company uh, who, who have a big market in attracting English people to go to the Caribbean. So it sort of makes sense for them to tour in many ways, anyway. But the worry was more, and the reason it was investigated by the ICC uh, Ethics Committee was in case it was an inducement to vote for the next chairman or the next chair rather? Uh, so that's why it's investigated and that and that's a legitimate fear. Um, yeah, that's that's completely legitimate that that would be looked into. But do we want a situation where the bigger nations help the smaller nations and that everyone sees it's for the greater good of the game? Yes. and and isn't it wonderful that Pakistan and West Indies again, have come to or coming to England this um, English season to play. I mean, English cricket owes them a lot. It's not quite fair to say England wouldn't have done the same. I don't know whether they would. I I don't know. But let's remember that England did go back to India after the terrorist attacks in 08. And they did go to Bangladesh in 16 when, you know, some people wouldn't have done. I, I suspect that if roles have been reversed and the England team and their families have been reading uh, the death toll, which is, the, which is what it is in England in the Caribbean ahead of a tour, I suspect they wouldn't have gone, but I might be wrong. But if it means that England is more sympathetic towards the needs of these other nations, are more likely to go to Pakistan, which I think would be a brilliant thing to do, uh, then great. And isn't it great that they're working together? I applaud that and I think, isn't it good for everybody? We're gonna get cricket to watch on TV, that's great, isn't it?
3: Absolutely, I think, um, you know, as a cricket fan, it's just great to see uh, something coming, something live to consume. Uh, It's, uh, there's only so many uh, YouTube videos from Rob Linda that we can watch to sustain ourselves (laughs) through this shelter in place or lockdown. Uh, you know, just pass it. I'll pass it along to uh, you know my co-anchor
0: Vivek. What are the potential windows do you see uh, of IPL uh, being conducted? Uh, I mean, like there are reports that peak may not reach in India till November. There are certain reports which are coming. So, are we looking at exploring at options like you mentioned UAE or Sri Lanka? Uh, uh, and to that effect. Do you think it is possible to happen this year itself because there is T20 World Cup happening this year and if it is not happening then we have, as you mentioned, two T20 World Cups, then a 50-over World Cup and then we have three IPL editions which need to be conducted. So how do you see this playing out? Okay,
4: I'm going to be shamelessly plugging my podcast here. Okay, so you can so everybody who's listening to this podcast, including the hosts and George, everybody just go and listen to the first episode of my podcast hotspot, you know, the second season's first episode, the episode is titled is the T20 World Cup going to happen this year, I can tell you the answer. Spoiler alert. Yes, the it's not going to happen this year, the T20 World Cup, I can re- give you a written guarantee, it's not going to happen this year. Um. It's, it's a little complicated regarding the IPL. Um, first of all, let me just say that the BCCI, yes, you know, it seems very, very turbulent. Uh, in my podcast, you'll also get the reasons why the, why the T20 World Cup won't happen this year, but that, that's a separate topic. Um, on the surface, the BCCI might seem a very turbulent organization because something is going on, something is cooking all the time. But beneath the surface, they have a very, very good administrative and operations team Despite all the turbulence, the Ranji Trophy is never disrupted. The international matches, India's tours, they're never, never disrupted. All deals go through, all sponsorships, marketing, everything goes through, everything works, clockwork, like clockwork. So right now I can tell you the BCCI has already prepared their contingency plans, A, B, C, for the IPL. They're already in place. Um, as regards to when it'll touch a peak, when the pandemic will touch a peak in India, I personally think it'll be somewhere in July August, which will coincide with the monsoon season. November, I think we'll all be dead if it you know peaks in November. Let, let me be very honest. I mean it's it's such a frightening thing right now. Um, but yeah, nobody can predict it. I think the BCCI is genuinely looking to take the IPL out of India for the 2020 season. And a couple of countries like Sri Lanka and the UAE have offered to host it. Now, there have been a couple of times when the IPL has gone outside India. Uh, 2009, the entire tournament went out. And then 14, when the elections happened, half the tournament went out. This is going to be totally different from those situations. Yes, the entire tournament will go out. But when it went out the last time, you needed people in the stands. You needed seven, eight stadiums this time you don't need that saurav ganguly the bcci president has already announced that this year's ipl will be a television only event so what do you really need you really need only two stadiums once you get those two stadiums you can have one match at one game one game at one stadium and the you know you, you can have two matches a day you can have all eight teams and the broadcasting team living in the same city for example uae dubai abu dhabi you can play a game in dubai Later in the evening, you can play a game in Abu Dhabi. Next day, play a game in Dubai, play a game in Abu Dhabi. So you can have two games a day. Overall, in 30 days, the entire tournament done and dusted. Let me give you a guarantee the IPL will happen this year. Possibly not in India, possibly not in India, but maybe in Sri Lanka, maybe in the UAE. The the options are being explored um, and there's a good chance the IPL will go outside India uh, for a third time. Shop. And the window, no, you, 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 you ask the window. Yeah. Uh, the BCCI is targeting September, October, uh, before the Indian tour of Australia. Uh, there's a, you know, George had mentioned uh, the ICC chairman's elections. Uh, it has a lot of bearing. The ICC chairman's elections has a lot of bearing on what is going to happen in world cricket, whether it's international cricket, whether it's the T20 World Cup, whether it's the IPL, whatever happens over the next 15 to 18 months, the ICC chairman's election has a lot of bearing on that. So the BCCI is waiting for certain announcements, but they can only wait so much longer. There will come a date when they will announce the IPL schedule.
0: Sure, Chetan, what we are hearing from Pakistan is that Pakistan is adamant that Asia Cup has to happen which yeah. they have given the rights to Sri Lanka and uh, they say they are, it's not going to have, it, it has to happen. It has to take precedence over IPL. So, uh, I mean, do you think it is going to play out like that? Um, it's a very simple question. I'm going to ask you a, a simple question and
4: just, just, just bear with me. Yeah. Star sports is the IPL broadcaster. Star sports is also the Asia cup broadcaster. 60 IPL matches, 13 Asia cup matches which will star sports broadcast?
0: Tell me, your answer. <laughs> um, I think pretty evident. Yeah, IPL has to be I, IPL in... All yeah. the way, so, 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 so don't take me wrong.
4: <laughs> no, they can't do both. They can't do both, George, because if the BCCI doesn't send an Indian team, star sports to the Asia cup, and because they're all busy playing the IPL, star sports will not broadcast the Asia cup. Simple as that. So that's your answer. I'm sorry to say this, Pakistan cricket board can say whatever it wants. But, you know, right now, only three things matter. When is, when or if the T20 World Cup will happen or not? I don't think it will happen. When will the IPL happen? And then the dominoes will start falling in place. ECB is very lucky that a lot of their international schedule is not affected right now by what Australia is doing or what India is doing. If all of this had happened next year, when India is supposed to play in England, it would have been a totally different ballgame altogether.
0: Sure, uh, A few, uh, couple of uh, more questions from my and uh, Chetan and uh, Dobul. And uh, so uh, probably uh, the elephant in the Indian cricket, uh, Indian cricket, if I can call that, uh, Ravi Shastri has said that MSD, if MSD has a good IPL, you can see him in the Indian colours. Uh, do you think that's that that's going to happen, or we have the Indian cricket team has actually moved past MSD? You're asking me. Yeah, either of you can okay. jump in, probably.
4: Okay, um, George, do you want to take this? I'll take it after you.
2: <laughs> uh, be my guest. Okay. Um,
4: okay, I think um, if the T20 World Cup doesn't happen this year, I think we have already seen the last of MS Dhoni. Um, uh, yes, he will play this year's IPL. He might play... If the, if there's another IPL in April, he'll probably play that. But then by the time the T20 World Cup happens next year in October, if it happens again or where it happens, uh, he'll almost be 40. Uh, so, again, there are, there are a lot of ifs and buts. Uh, we don't know when the IPL is going to happen, if it is going to happen, are two seasons going to happen. I think... As, as painful as it sounds, because he's one of my all-time favorite cricketers, uh, I think we've already seen the last of MS Dhoni. I think right now, what Ravi Shastri said last year, or for that matter, even Virat Kohli said that, even the selectors said that. I think everybody has said that, that you know, if, if he has a good IPL, he can go to the World Cup. I think that was last year when the pandemic hadn't happened. Right now, it's a totally new reality. And I think MS Dhoni also understands this.
0: Sure, thank, thank you on that, I've
4: given you another headline, so use this one. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: if, if you change track and come to test match cricket, and uh, uh, two questions on that front. Uh, with so many uh, series being cancelled or rescheduled, what do you make of the present test championship cycle which is happening? Do you see, uh, how, how do you see it playing out? And secondly, do you think this is the right time where everybody's working from home, where uh, cricket boards can actually prioritize test cricket over other profitable for, uh, forms of cricket? Or we see as we have been having that discussion over probably it's the more profitable um, uh, series and tournaments which will take precedence over test cricket. Uh, George, if you could.
2: Well, Test cricket is profitable in the UK. Um, it's very profitable. It's actually, I think it's still the most profitable form, format of the game in England for various reasons, uh, because the grounds are sold out. The grounds aren't as big as the grounds in India or Australia, but, you know, you can get 20 to 25,000, 30,000 people, and they'll sell out almost every day of the summer. Uh, the broadcasting deal is still good for Test cricket, uh, and there still seems to be a big appetite for it. And England take a lot of supporters when they go away. You know, if England go to the Caribbean, they would routinely take six, eight, eight, 10,000 people who spend a fortune. So it's quite a big deal uh, in some economies to, to welcome this number of people who are going to, you know, stay in hotels, eat in restaurants, and most of all, drink prolifically. So um, I, I wouldn't diminish uh, Test Cricket's financial viability at this stage, certainly in England. Now, that's different elsewhere, isn't it? There's just n- no way around it. Uh, the test, the World Test Championship was brought in... I mean, I, I, I think we all understand why, but it, it, it cannot work in this current cycle. There's just... We, we can't get the games in. Uh, and I think that actually that's an opportunity because although it was meant to bring relevance to every encounter, I don't think it was particularly... I don't think the point structure was... Either simple enough or fair enough that it really worked, and i don't really i have never been sure that it appealed anyway i mean i don't know do it uh, did it interest as uh, uh, do uh, does it interest you does it do you think it added anything to the game? I guess we were all cricket lovers anyway did it interest you really um
0: for me, I think for me, I would have personally uh, like to have seen a, a, a championship final where we were playing India versus Australia in Lords. I think that would just add something, another feature to the whole or, or viewing experience. But uh, well, that, whole that of... would,
2: but that would, yeah. because yeah. for various reasons, one, it's a final, two, yeah. it's a, a unique venue for both sides in a way. And, you know, they wouldn't have played each other there before. So by the time you get to the final, yeah. But what about all the teams that don't reach the final? Just, I, d- I don't think it was working. And maybe this is an opportunity to go back to the drawing board because there's no way we can squeeze the games we need into the cycle we have. So let's have another look at it, shall we? And um, it did look a little bit as if it were arranged to make sure that India were in the final. Did it not look as if it was arranged for broadcast revenue? And is that a good place to start? You, if you remember, going way back, the Champions League... Which was a decent enough idea. It didn't work because the regs of the competition w- were just unfair, and again, they were designed to ensure the Indian teams reached the final. Do you remember Mumbai playing Somerset? Somerset were allowed two overseas players, and Mumbai were allowed five. And they it could have, so before the tournament, they said it was four, and then they said to preserve the integrity of the tournament, they were going to allow Mumbai another one. Nonsense. And because of that, the credibility of the competition, which should have been all right, was undermined. And it's the same with this, really. Uh, unless, unless you allow merit to find its own place, unless, unless you know disappointment as a supporter, God knows growing up watching England and New Zealand, I had a lot of disappointment, uh, you, you never really appreciate joy. So if we sort of guarantee that every world event global event that Pakistan and India will play each other, maybe it loses a wee bit of that sort of precious, unique element and maybe equally, if we try and uh, engineer a situation where Australia, England and India play each other so often and play each other in this World uh, Test Championship final, maybe it it loses a bit of the excitement that it would have done if, say, Pakistan and New Zealand played. I don't know. I, I I just think you've got to allow sport to find its own level and I don't think we've done that.
4: Uh, Chetan, anything to add? I quite like the world test. The idea of the world test championship—you know, playing it over two, three years, or a year, or six months, or eight months—and then you have you know culminating in a, in a final at Lords. Um, I know BCCI wanted to host a final maybe in twenty-three or twenty-five at Bangalore um, in the in the summer months at Bangalore. So they they even had those thoughts. Um, but. Uh, i did not like the format um, i don't agree with the with the notion that it was favoring india it's just that india were playing a lot of test matches immediately after the world cup and then they had a period or in fact this year they were not going to play any test matches apart from two in new zealand and four in australia so it allows other teams to catch win and catch up i mean um, so while i don't while i disagree with that notion but again the format was really a very disruptive format. It was, there was no uniformity in it. There was no, I mean, cricket doesn't really have many tournaments that have a uniform or a streamlined structure, but this one was really rugged. This one was really raw. The points system was not very equitable. So for me, it worked. uh, The whole idea that, you know, there is a definitive, everybody goes around saying pinnacle of cricket, pinnacle of cricket, but who's the champion? Who's really the champion? I mean, you're looking at a number one team anybody who's a world number one test team, half of their ranking points are from three years ago. So we don't really have a definitive test champion in that sense. So I think this time allows us or allows the ICC, if they can ever sit down and discuss this, to maybe recognize a proper format for the world test championship. Yes, let it play out over two years or three years, and then you have maybe... Two te- a, two semifinals and a final maybe a three week tournament or a three and two and a half week tournament in england or in india wherever uh, but yes you need to properly structure that format over two years but yes for next year this 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 cycle is gone forget the world test championship final next year just 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 forget about it yeah
3: got um, you just two questions and then we'll wrap it up um, the first one for you, Chetan, is that, um, you know, I think one of the, the most exciting tournaments this year, uh, and I know it's been a truncated uh, international calendar thus far, but um, the, the, the Women's T20 World Cup was something that definitely captured the imagination of uh, fans in India. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, we've seen over the last few years that there's been progressive improvements in the Indian women's team. And now, you know, the common fan is aware of the stars in the game and who's the, who are the upcoming stars many saw this as an opportunity for us to plug in a women's IPL, just similar to what you have in, the, in, in Australia with the women's big bash. Do you think that that is something that is still realistic? Uh, maybe it's just pushed down the line, or is it something that will be forgotten because that momentum which was generated might just dissipate with all of the breaks we've had?
4: Uh, no, I don't think the momentum will be lost because uh, there will be more women's tournaments um, hopefully over the next couple of years there's supposed to be a women's world cup ODI world cup in New Zealand next year I really hope it goes through uh, because like George pointed out New Zealand is relatively free and you know women's world cup they would want to push the game through Um, I think the idea of the women's IPL has been pushed back a couple of years right now. There's just too much on the BCCI's plate to think about the women's IPL. I know for a fact that they were, they were, they were mulling over it, maybe in a couple of years time, maybe next year or the year after, we probably would have seen a four or five team IPL uh, women's IPL. They, they were really mulling over it. They're playing exhibition matches. Um, so it, it was really gaining momentum. What the What the T20 World Cup, Women's T20 World Cup this year did was give us a few new names in the women's team, especially Shefali Verma. I mean, personally, in my opinion, I think she could be the Sachin Tendulkar for women's cricket in India. I mean, a young, raw batsman, attacking, full of flair. Everybody likes her. Everybody wants to watch her. Everybody tunes in when she's batting. and if she continues the way that she is right now and, you know, becomes even a better player. I mean, in, in the final, when India lost and she, she was out for a duck or uh, not, not for a duck, I think one or two, whatever, very cheaply in the first over. And she was crying in the dugout. I don't think that, you know, I think every Indian felt that. And I think that that feeling has never been there for women's cricket. And uh, I think, um, While the momentum has dissipated just a bit, it has not been lost. We do have star players in the women's cricket. Um, Over the next couple of years, it will develop. And then if and when the ICC tournaments, especially the women's tournaments happen again, uh, they will allow us um, to regain that momentum and push forward with, uh, with, with the women's IPL because it has to happen. For the betterment of women's cricket in India, the women's IPL has to happen. George, some
3: positive developments, even from the England women's side. I believe uh, that um, the Eng- England women are now centrally contracted. And, uh, you know, any prospects for uh, the 100 or something, or a tournament of that format being extended to the women's, to women's cricket in England?
2: No, no, I, I, it, it was already. It was, that was an integral part of it.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, that was one of the perceived benefits of the 100. Look, on. Okay. I'm no fan of the hundred. I just think it's an, unne- an unnecessary risk. I don't mind it being played over 100 balls. I, don't, I just don't, I don't like it being played in a window, and I don't like it being only eight teams. Um, but uh, the 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 women's tournament is absolutely integral to the hundred. So that, that yeah, the the ECB are pretty good in terms of um, they've tried to do the right things in the last few years. But one of the things that we've learned is that Australia are years ahead in women's cricket. And that's, it's not just that they have uh, a freakishly talented uh, group of cricketers. It's also they've invested in it. They've invested in it hugely. And they've they've, they've led the way. Uh, And everyone, you know, England and India must follow. Uh, The only bad thing about the the Women's 100 is it came uh, at the expense of the Kia Super League, which is a 20-over competition women's 20 over competition which had been quite good you know it was developing its own uh, support base it was doing okay and they've abandoned it I, I think that's a mistake but I think it's a shame um, it, women's sport is an, an interesting place in the UK uh, but I think most people would agree that it's right for a huge amount of growth and development and uh, even if it were not morally clearly the right thing to do I think most authorities would agree that financially, it's a huge untapped resource. So uh, it's going to happen. It might take time. And we've all got a duty to encourage and develop it.
3: Great. Uh, just one final question. And uh, I think this one is something that all Indian cricket fans can uh, you know, relate to. Uh, if you see the, the mandatory quarantine period, which is uh, part of any uh, touring side's protocol uh, in England now, both the Pakistanis as well as the West Indies have been quarantining. That means that they're spending more time on the ground in England, uh, acclimatizing. As an Indian cricket fan, our biggest gripe with the BCCI on foreign tours has been that we just drop our players in right ahead of a, two, uh, of a series without substantial practice matches, or you know, in, in the Indians' cases, we don't even take the practice matches serious, but. At least we don't spend enough time on the ground acclimatizing before the first test. And as a result, India almost always loses the first test abroad. Uh, do you think that these mandatory quarantine protocols are going to have an impact on the game, wherein West Indies might be better suited now, uh, better acclimatized, and might be more competitive? Or is it just going to be same of the most, more of the same stuff? Well, I don't
2: know, but uh, your point's clearly right. It would help India if their players had longer to acclimatize. They did try last time, didn't they? But, you know, what do you do? They're so busy. They're so busy. There's too many demands on them. But Virat did try and play for Surrey last time, didn't he? And and no doubt, had he played a couple of championship games for Surrey, well, he did all right anyway, didn't he? But he would have done even better, no doubt. And and I'm sure that Ravi Ashwin benefited for his spells at Worcester and Notts, um, which he seemed to really enjoy, by the way. Because um, he could just walk through the streets and no one would bother him. And he seemed to really, really love that. He was very friendly and chatty in a way, you know, including with journalists, in a way that I haven't seen him when I've covered international tournaments. Um, the problem with the West Indies right now is that they're not actually going to play a lot of games, are they? We're in the weird situation where the first first class game of the summer is going to be West Indies v West Indies A next week. Uh, but they're actually only going to play one first class game and it's basically their A-team be their B-team. How much have they learned from that? I don't know. I mean, England aren't going to have played either, but you would think that they would know the conditions. So I take the point, but I'm, it's not as if they're playing the counties. It's not as if they're getting to, to move around the country and experience different conditions. They're basically just playing in Manchester, which isn't a particularly English-style pitch in lots of ways anyway. So I think both... Um, I think uh, West Indies in particular, actually have got it quite tough. Um, And uh, I don't think they're going to get every advantage that a touring team normally would. But what what can we do? What can anyone do about that situation? I say again, we've all got to accept we're not in an ideal situation. Just get the game on. I really hope that... uh, Because Cricket West Indies is in this uh, weird position at the moment where I think that the current administration are doing an awful lot right. But you look at the results... And, I, you know, the financial results are poor. Well, they would be, wouldn't they? And they might well lose to England. And that could be used against them. But let's remember, West Indies haven't won in England since, what, 1988, I think. Australia haven't won in England since 2001 or whatever. It's very hard to win Test Series in England these days, generally. Um, and I hope it's not held against them, as if, you know, everything in Western cricket is wrong. Because they've actually done world cricket, and English cricket in particular, a favour by coming they're not going to get a very good warm-up preparation period. They'll get as good as they can, but, you know, it's not the same. And it would be a damn shame if that comes back to slap them in the face. All I would say is people keep rubbishing West Indies. I don't know how many series I've done in the Caribbean, three or four. They keep embarrassing England one way (laughs) or another. Beat them, you know, barely a year ago. And they beat them good and proper. It wasn't lucky. They were the better side. You know, don't don't rule them out because that's a terrific bowling attack. And the main thing is,
4: it's just cricket. Thank goodness it's happening again. Eh? Agreed. Chetan? Um, I think uh, this this point that you made about uh, acclimatization, it's, um, it, it's, not, uh, it, it's not going to work that way. I mean, acclimatization doesn't work in the sense that they go and live in a hotel room for 15 days and you're acclimatized. Acclimatization is when you play on those pitches, you play on those crowns and Pitches, not just, you know, because you're playing on an Australian pitch. No, a pitch which would be similar to what you would get in the test matches. I mean, you, you can practice on the Perth wicket. And if you're playing all your test matches in Adelaide, you're not acclimatized. I mean, that that's the difference there. So just by saying that, okay, the Indian team is going there for 15 days ahead of the tour and they'll acclimatize. No, that's not going to work. What the Indian team will not mind is... India A versus India B practice match, because as it is, they don't really care about practice matches. They, they they're happier. They're happier doing mid wicket net practice. They're happier if Shami and Ishant are bowling to their openers, but in the middle of the ground on the match day wicket. So that India won't mind. But in terms of acclimatization, just because they're going ahead 15 days for a quarantine, they like getting out, walking around, if they're allowed. I don't think quarantine means you're allowed to walk around. I think they'll be locked in in a particular hotel. Um, but yeah, I don't see how that is going. Like, I'm talking about India going to Australia this year. The, the only way I see it being beneficial is if you're playing all four test matches in Australia at one, one venue. If you're playing at Adelaide, because then you're staying in Adelaide and you're playing in Adelaide, and you're practicing in Adelaide, and then you're playing four test matches in Adelaide. Now, that is an advantage that India could exploit because they have done really well at Adelaide Oval in the last two tours. Uh, so, but otherwise, if, if it's all spread around, you're playing at the Gaba, Adelaide, MCG, SCG, and then, you know, you're quarantining and you're practicing elsewhere, that's, that's, that's neither here nor there.
3: Well, Australia has been pretty adamant that, uh, you know, India is avoiding the, the Gabitois, Brisbane. So I think uh, they're going to get their wish this time. And we're definitely going to have a I'm test.
4: Not gonna, there. I'm <laughs> not, not saying anything to that. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Great, guys. Uh, maybe before we let you go, um, we just have one request. Could we get some predictions for the upcoming series, both George and uh, Chetan?
2: George, you first. Well, which series are we talking about? Uh, West the, Ind- so,
3: yes, the West Indies series and then the Pakistan series, the two-test series.
2: I think England's probably favourites. Uh, home series, Dukes ball, Pax, uh, West Indies missing two or three would, would, players who would have been in their top order batting. I think England are favourites, and I think they probably are for the Pakistan series too. Um, yeah, that that's... That's
3: it. Any Glenn McGrath-esque uh, predictions of 3-0, three 3-0 three for both the series?
2: No. But no. Um, but I, I've given you a prediction. I think that mm. England-India series, the series that should be in India, won't be. And I, I think it'll be in the UAE. But it might all be in Mumbai. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I suspect it'll be in the UAE. Because TV matters. Um, but there's my prediction. And also that... <laughs> Me and Chet, we're going to get a lot of flack on Twitter in the next week.
4: <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. And and I hope you don't use that, that particular headline. I've given you many headlines today. Um, prediction time. Uh, prediction time. Um, uh, I think England will win both Test Series, uh, but I would really love for West Indies to win the Test Series uh, against England like they did in the Caribbean. Um, their bowling attack is so beautiful, that pace bowling attack. Uh, I think... Uh, Jason Holder is not given as much credit as the West Indies test captain as he should be. He's, uh, the West Indies cricket board has not made it easy for him. He's had an immensely tough job. And um, uh, I think he should be given a little more credit for uh, how West Indies have shaped up as, as a unit, um, given their lack of resources or lack of commitment from star players towards test cricket. I would really love to see West Indies win the test series, but I think they will nick one of the three test matches. Yeah, one of the three test matches. That bowling attack is really fearsome because England, they haven't had their summer, right? Summer of cricket, maybe a bit rusty. They've only started practicing a couple of weeks back. So the first test in Southampton, if the conditions are right, and Southampton can be a bit wobbly under the right conditions. So you never know. Uh, I I would really love to see West Indies win a test match. I think the, the cricket romantics and all of us would uh, love
3: to see a West Indies, a uh, resurgent West Indies team. <laughs> but uh, on that note, uh, let's all look forward to the upcoming series. And I want to thank both of you, as well as uh, Asif Bhai, sure, for joining thanks. us today. Thank you very much. Thank you pleasure. for having us. Yeah. It's been pleasure. a real thank pleasure. Guys. It's been
2: a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Cheers.
1: Thank you, guys. Bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. Thanks.
2: Bye, Joel, see you, everybody. I mean. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I check it like you Red
2: Sing
0: balling
1: it, yeah. Uh, I, I really don't mind. You hit me once, I hit you
6: back.
2: I He's bowling like my auntie Annie when she'd had too much sherry to drink.
3: over my head, then I set fire.
1: beta <laughs> beta,